Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here today by Blake Alderman. Blake, I'll be honest with you, uh, if this podcast is a little all over the map, uh, it's because my my brain feels like scrambled eggs today. I've been focused on kind of getting my condo on the market the last several days, so dealing with a bunch of paperwork and all that. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, big news right before, well, I say big news. I don't want to, uh, you know, overly... overly There's out. some news. Yes, some news. Florida reported its first coronavirus case really since the team started mandatory workouts back on uh, July 14th today. Just one case for the football team. Uh, but, Blake, it will impact most likely how the team operates from here. Uh, what's your kind of take on, I guess, how Florida has managed to this point and what this news means for the team? You know, I think it's it's something that whenever you look in, in kind of the brain of Dan Mullen, you, you can kind of see the, you know, the genius, if you want to call it that. And, and, I, and I say that because Florida really did front load a lot of their practices – to kind of, I guess, game plan, so to say, if something like this did happen. And I know it's something that you've really kind of covered on Swamp 24-7 on the message boards, just the fact that Florida, I don't want to say they can kind of coast into game prep and, and whatnot, but the, the way their fall camp was set up is where they went really heavy in the start. So if there were some kind of cases that did pop up as students, you know, with classes starting on August 31st, you know, students coming back and people being around the players, it does give Florida a chance to kind of space these out, uh, whether that's, you know, just getting guys healthy, whether that's, you know, so-and-so pops up with a test and you have to be quarantined, the roommates have to be quarantined for such and such days. So I do think there was a really smart way that Mullen did go about, you know, kind of structuring fall camp. And, you know, you, you, going forward, you don't want to see the number grow, obviously. So I, I think that Florida has been pretty, pretty lucky so far, considering when you look at some of the other teams around the country and just kind of how they de- dealt with some COVID cases. And, you know, it's obviously more than one. So I think if you look at the last, what, month and a half or so, and this is only one case. So I, I think there's a lot of positives for Florida there. Um, but you obviously want to monitor it and see where this goes. You know, maybe not the biggest deal with just one case. But I think now it's kind of seeing what goes forward. And, uh, you know, obviously you want to have everything squared away whenever you start prepping for Ole Miss and, you know, getting into game week yeah it's going to be really interesting to see you know what happens to that number florida's been reporting basically every week uh, their coronavirus numbers and that's kind of how we know that they've managed covid very well to this point it'll be interesting to see a week from now you know what that number looks like assuming they continue to report you know on a weekly basis because one is really not that bad and if they caught it quickly you know we know that florida's been testing very regularly um during camp to make sure that they prevent some of these issues um, if they do a good job with, you know, with the quarantining and, and you know, um, the, the contact tracing, that kind of thing, where they can really mitigate it, you have a chance to stamp it out before it becomes a thing uh, where it really does impact you like some of these other teams we've seen. You know, Ole Miss, Florida's season opening opponent, uh, they had a scrimmage uh, recently where they had 27 players out due to either COVID or injury. Um, and that's the kind of thing, like, I mean, that affects you, man. That affects your preparation. When you have 27 guys missing from a scrimmage, um, you're just not getting as much work in as you need to get done. Uh, Tennessee, on the other hand, 
you know, uh, they had to scrap their scrimmage altogether after they had 44 players test positive. Uh, they turned it into a regular practice. So, or sorry, sorry, not 44 players test positive. I got to be clear on this, but they had 44 players out due to COVID, meaning uh, either testing positive or, you know, due to the, the contact tracing and this, you know, the quarantining of the other players. Um, but the bottom line is that that can really impact you. And I think, like you mentioned, Florida front loading its fall camp schedule into the first half of, you know, this 40 day window that the SEC gave them was really, really smart. Uh, you know, obviously in hindsight, this is really, really smart, you know, who knows, it could have worked out totally differently, but at this point you're looking at it and Florida has gotten all of their install done. They've gotten through two full scrimmages with no players quarantined uh, by that point. Um, you know, and, and obviously Florida has held out individual players here and there, you know, Kyle Pitts hasn't scrimmaged either time just because they know what they're getting out of him, but Florida hasn't been impacted by the virus in fall camp in a way that some of these other programs have. And so, um, I think it was twofold the decision for Florida to kind of structure camp that way. Um, if you go back to last year and look at how Dan Mullen kind of set up the season, what they do every year is they kind of plan out, you know, when their tough stretches in the schedule are and how they want to kind of ease into those, go a little less physically, that kind of thing. So like last year when Florida played Miami in the season opener and had a bye week right after it, they essentially treated that Miami game like it was its own season. Like they basically were playing two seasons. So they, they did all their fall camp work. They got ready for that. And then they literally gave the team the week after Miami off, like, you know, and so a lot of, a lot of fans would have expected maybe, you know, Florida gets this benefit from playing in week zero because now they get an extra week of practice in, you know, before the rest of the games. Well, Florida just took that off because they wanted to get guys healthy. And I think that was also part of the reason why Dan Mullen did this, where they front loaded the, the calendar. I think some of it was COVID, but some of it was, you know, Dan Mullen wanted to make sure knowing that his guys haven't had a full off season of strength and conditioning, knowing that they didn't have spring ball, he wanted to make sure that once they ramped up, you know, if guys did get banged up, you get those nicks and, you know, bumps and bruises that they have a, a kind of what he called a deceleration period here, you know, in this next week or two. And, and Blake, we can talk about that a little bit, but basically because Florida's done so much already, these next two weeks for Florida or really, I guess, week, week and a half is going to be lighter. And I think that's going to allow Florida to maybe go into the season a little bit healthier. Right. I believe Dan Mullen was on a press conference with you guys and he, he said that it was more, correct me if I'm wrong too, it was more going to be, you know, conditioning and, and kind of the weight training aspect where they went a little bit lighter on that, where, you know, they were going heavy full pads hitting every day. So now it seems like they're going to kind of, you know, just uh, go into old Miss game prep week, you know, just healthy, um, you know, and, and obviously getting back to, uh, you know, just continuing to stay in shape and all that. So, you know, I think that's, uh, it, it gives Florida a chance to kind of, t you know, ease into game week, you know, you never want to, you know, have a risk of having more injuries, you know, any more, you know, contacts, you know, with players, you know, this thing spreading around. So I, I think it's, it's a luxury for Florida to do have those practices, you know, to go really heavy in the start and kind of, uh, you know, I, I say coast, but it's obviously not going to be a coast into that game week. No. And the, the way Dan Mullen described it is they're going to have to be very mentally locked in. And so I think what you're going to see is, you know, on top of the getting some of those lifting sessions in, getting some of those conditioning sessions, you're going to see, you know, the team focus more of these 20 hours that they have per week to work with the coaches on stuff like film review, you know, really planning out the game plan, making sure that players are mentally locked into, okay, here's how we're going to attack Ole Miss, here's how we're going to defend Ole Miss, and, and really focus on that, you know, really get it mentally set in their heads what they want to do in that season opener. That way, you know, when you come out of this week and a half, week period where, you know, it's really just recovery time right now. And then, you know, conditioning that you transition into game week with players having had a week and a half or whatever of 
just kind of intense walkthroughs, uh, film study, all that, where you're not necessarily using those 25 practices that you have, you know, on the field in pads doing, you know, actual football, but you're getting them mentally set up to get into that game week. And I think that'll really help, you know, Dan Mullen has been so good, so good at organizing and building a program. And I think when you look at his time at Mississippi state, I mean, the results speak for themselves. You see what he's done with Florida coming off a four win team, you know, in Jim McElwain's final season, winning 10 games, winning 11 games. Um, He is so structured and, and detail oriented um, that I, I really, he, he's one of the best contingency coaches I've ever seen, you know, where I thought Florida's plan for fall camp was as well executed as I've seen. Um, now, having said that, I, I do – the one concern I have, Blake, and, and it goes back to even last year, Florida probably doesn't go quite as hard in fall camp uh, from, like a, from, from a physical standpoint as some of these other teams. Like, the, the focus very much is on making sure that, you know, his guys are healthy, well-rested, can make it into the fourth quarter and execute well. Um, but they can also do it throughout the course of an entire season. And I think you see that Florida – under Dan Mullen has typically gotten stronger late in the calendar, uh, late in the year, whereas maybe some of these other teams fade a little bit. I think that's kind of Mullen's goal. But sometimes that can lead you to a little bit of a slow start. And, Blake, I think listening to Dan Mullen, he's been pretty open that we may see some sloppy football at the beginning of the year. You know, it's funny just kind of watching different head coaches just, you know, around the SEC, you know, just kind of following things. I, I saw a story on our South Carolina site where Will Muschamp, the head coach at South Carolina, he said that, you know, he thought that South Carolina was playing the cleanest and you know, that they were, you know, kind of ahead of schedule considering all the loss of practices and stuff. It's just so interesting to see different. I guess just different aspects because, you know, you hear Mullen who say that, you know, you, he thinks it's going to be a lot sloppier football. And, you know, you've got Will Muschamp who's over here saying that, you know, he thinks that they're, you know, ahead of schedule. So I tend to kind of be on the, on the side of where I, I do think there's going to be some sloppier football, you know, to kind of start out just, you know, most of these teams, if they did, played in a bowl game, you know, they haven't played since that game, you know, sure you can scrimmage, you know, and that's, you know, your first chance of playing real football, but that's, you know, kind of considering if a team like Tennessee who had to scrap a scrimmage, you know, did you get all the scrimmages that you needed there? Did you make a bowl game last year? Do you have different offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, head coaches, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I kind of tend to think that I do think things are going to be a little bit on the sloppier side, just maybe to start out um, just kind of the loss of things and your different pieces in there. You know, not everyone's playing, so, you know, you kind of have to pick and choose certain teams. You know, like a team like Ohio State, you know, you wouldn't think that it would be so much slop kind of coming out because they're a team like Florida that does return a lot of pieces. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to kind of hear that, you know, you've got, you know, Florida who has returned quite a bit of their roster. Sure, there's some questions here and there, but overall there's just not a lot of questions. And, you know, you just wouldn't think it would be very sloppy. Yeah, no, it, it, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, shoot, just look at the, uh, you know, the BYU-Navy game. Uh, I think, you know, that's obviously – that's been a huge topic of conversation around college football the last couple of days because Navy basically took the track of – you know, they didn't practice live tackling, live blocking in practice. You know, yeah, They didn't look like it. And, and they looked like it. And, like, who knows? You know, Florida only only having two scrimmages this fall. Some other teams are having three. Like, you know, and, and so it, it's – there's so many different variables this year that it's really going to be fascinating. Um, I, I guess kind of my point is just I think – I think Dan Mullen has earned trust from the fans, has earned sure. trust from the program. I mean, you know, I, I, you know me, man. We've been doing this a long time. Um, I tend to be very, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but very skeptical of coaches. And I, I kind of like to poke holes in what they're doing, you know, kind of find ways that maybe I could, you know, critique it. 
I don't have that sense with Dan Mullen going into year three. I just don't like, I, I think that he knows what he's doing um, outside of recruiting, which we've talked about, um, you know, where I've been vocal that maybe that's one area they can improve. I, I see no reason to question the way Dan Mullen approaches things. And I think when you look at, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, Florida got through it. They may not have, but when you look at how they structured fall camp, now that you have this positive COVID case and potentially, you know, with the next round of testing, there could be some spread. You know, you're going to have guys that are going to have to quarantine. To be having that now when you're in a deceleration period and you're not planning to do as much anyway by design is huge. Like, that's huge. You know, I mean, this is not Florida uh, being in a situation like Tennessee was where they had to scrap a scrimmage, you know, where they're probably, Jeremy Pruitt said, they may only get 20 to 22 of those 25 practices in. This isn't that. Like, Florida is well set up, and I think that's a credit to Dan Mullen. Um, but Blake, let's, let's get into talking some football. Florida did have its second scrimmage. We have some notes from that. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be right back on the other side talking Florida's second scrimmage. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of the farmer's dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here by Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, we were just talking about, uh, you know, Florida's handling of COVID-19 and, uh, you know, obviously now having a positive case. But Florida got through both of its scrimmages uh, intact there hasn't been a whole lot of news out of the second scrimmage. You know, Dan Mullen, we talked to him yesterday, really honestly didn't say a whole lot. Um, you know, he was asked about some other issues, but really didn't, didn't give us a whole lot of feedback. I, I think one thing that he did say was that, um, you know, Kyle Trask probably didn't have his best day. Um, but Blake, after that first scrimmage where we kind of had a, a decent bit of info from sources and everything, Florida's kind of really clamped down. Um I think you, you had sent me yesterday a, uh, a clip that I guess a fan had posted on Twitter. Uh, it was taken down before I even got a chance to see it. So I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, was there anything that you saw in that, that clip that was, I guess, noteworthy? Yeah, in the, the video tweet that had since been deleted, uh, you know, I, I, there, was, there wasn't a ton in there. Um, I know that one thing that we had talked about that, you know, um, Jordan Pouncey, I almost called him Ethan, the little brother, but Jordan Pouncey, the wide receiver for Florida, had posted a clip of him uh, making a really nice, you know, catch. It looked like I think it was C.J. McWilliams in coverage, who was, you know, in pretty tight coverage there. And, and Jordan Pouncey had a, you know, a really physical catch kind of going over McWilliams uh, to come down that with a touchdown. So that was a nice catch by him. Um, that was included. Uh, it looked like there was a touchdown uh, by, um, oh, man, uh, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville wide receiver. It's been here forever. 
Rick Wells. Rick Wells. There we go. It's been there so long. I always forget his yeah. name. Um, Rick Wells had a touchdown in the, in the scrimmage. It looked like, um, and, and, you know, one of the things that really did stick out to me from the clip was, um, you know, Trey Dean wearing number zero in that, in that scrimmage. We've seen the pictures of him, you know, it kind of looked like he's put on some muscle. He had a really big hit to where he was like, you know, standing over, I, I didn't see the number of who he did make the hit on, but he was standing over him, you know, kind of took his helmet off and, you know, it was kind of, you know, giving him some jaw, you know, after that, you know, jawing with him after that. So it continues to kind of back up the you know the, the the narrative of this fall camp that trading has been really physical he's kind of settling in there at safety so um it's going to be interesting the safety position overall with just you know how florida really did kind of rotate those guys around in there and then you've moved trading into the picture so um it just brings one more guy into the into that room that florida you know can use there um another guy that i did notice from the video that that was taken down was um you know number 10 andrew chatfield was kind of buzzing around there was making some plays there too so he's a guy that really we haven't haven't really heard a lot about him, you know, just from kind of starting out at Florida, you know, he was one of those kind of tweener guys that, you know, as a, a high school guy to where, you know, is he a buck, is he a defensive end? And I think now he's made that move to linebacker. So, you know, he, just another, you know, uh, really athletic, you know, physical guy that Florida can use at that linebacker spot where, you know, I, I me personally, I'm starting to get the vibe that, you know, the, the linebacker room for Florida this year could kind of be like that, you know, safety room last year where they have the guys that they can continue to rotate in there and, and you know, yeah. keep them fresh. Yeah, you know, Chapel was a guy that last spring, uh, I believe, when he came in, I was surprised that he didn't have more of a, an impact in the fall because he was the guy that was bringing up multiple sacks. It seemed like every practice, every scrimmage uh, was really, really effective as a pass rusher. Um, you know, like you said, <clears throat> when he came in, we weren't quite sure, you know, where he would fit. He doesn't really have the ideal size to be a defensive end. He's, he's just not that tall. Uh, doesn't necessarily have the range, but he is kind of um, – He's a very powerful rusher, you know, and seems to use his size and power pretty well. Um, and so if he's a guy that can get used to playing some linebacker, uh, I think he's a guy that could really, really be effective against the run. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of keep an eye on him. But I want to go back to the secondary because um, Trey Dean is, is a guy that obviously, you know, we've talked about quite a bit, you know, really struggled at Nickelback last year. Um, kind of kind of requested that the coaches put him back outside, you know, and and obviously when he did that, Kyrie Elam kind of slipped the front in front of him on the depth chart. Um, we've talked about his move to safety, and I, I think if there's a position that he's going to fit at in the secondary, it's probably there. Um, I know Princely Umanmi Allen. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I, that's going to be a tough one. Princely. Wait till Mick says that one. It, it, dude, it was really funny. We were talking to Todd Grantham on the Zoom call the other day, and uh, somebody asked him how to how to say Princely's last name. He goes, I, I don't know. I call him Prince. Yeah, let's go Prince. Let's go Prince. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he ha he does like a, a YouTube series, I guess, uh, like a vlog, I guess they call him, um, where he, he does like kind of, you know, videos, like an extended Snapchat sneak peek at kind of what's going on behind the scenes of Florida. And one of the things that really stuck out to me from that video was just how big trading is. I mean, he looks massive. He looks like a linebacker. Um, and I, I think, like you said, the, the safety position last year was already pretty interesting the way they rotated you know I, I know that some fans didn't really necessarily like that uh, but it does give you a lot of options you know if a guy goes down you've got guys that have experience ready to step in the secondary for Florida this year is going to be fascinating I mean we really we don't know exactly how it's all going to play out in terms of who the five guys they put out there are we know that Marco Wilson and Kyrie Elam are going to start right like I mean that's certain Sean Davis is probably you know I would say a, a full-time starter at safety uh, but but some of the other guys that have kind of gotten into the mix, Brad Stewart's actually kind of played a little bit of safety and a little bit of that, that star role, that nickelback spot. 
Um, I think nickel is the one we really don't know. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. You know, they're they have some options too compared to last year. A lot of options. You know, I think Amari Bernie's a guy that when you go against teams that maybe have a bigger guy in the slot, uh, maybe more of a, um, you know, a, a threat to, to block you and create some edges in the run game. I think he's the guy that goes in there. You know, I think Brad Stewart, you know, coming out of high school had some of that cover ability, you know, could maybe play. And he was a corner in high school as well. Right, exactly. So he, he gives you maybe a little bit more coverage angle there. Um, and because of his flexibility and ability to play safety, um, I think, again, we've really honed in on this theme of Florida having this position flexibility on defense. You know, guys like Chatfield who can play as a rush end or can play as a linebacker. Uh, Diabate, same thing. Uh, Amari Bernie, a guy that can shift between kind of that hybrid nickel slash linebacker role. Uh, Brad Stewart's another one. I think you're going to see him go between star and, and safety. And I think um, Blake, what that really allows you to do is it allows you to disguise things and then also not necessarily have to substitute when the offense does, because you have that flexibility. And I think that's something that Todd Grantham really, really likes with this defense. Yeah. You know, I think the star position is a lot more interesting for me than last year, wherever I kind of break things down, you know, for me, you know, and, and this is me who, you know, has, has not seen a practice live just with all the shutdown. I think there are four guys that really stand out to me from just looking at the roster that have a shot at being that star type of guy. Brad Stewart, I think, is an interesting one because, like you said, you know, he has that coverage ability. You know, he's really, uh, you know, he, he's kind of twitchy, so to say, um, and he can, you know, he can lay the, lay, the, lay the wood, man. Like, he, he can hit. Like, that's exactly what you want from that star position. You want someone who is, can hit and can be physical, but it can also cover. I think Brad Stewart, to me, is probably the most intriguing guy at the star position just from hearing how he's played in camp. And, you know, obviously, they could be shopping guys around, but I, I think that's really interesting for me just kind of hearing what – you know, how they're using him there and just kind of knowing his skill set. I agree with you. I think Bernie is a guy that brings a little bit more size there. Chester Kimbrough is a guy to me that I think is, is very interesting there as well because he doesn't quite have this big type of size that a guy like, you know, Brad Stewart or, you know, obviously not, um, you know, Bernie, but I mean, for a little guy, I mean, he will hit you. Like he is a, you know, a really tough guy. He was one that, you know, freshman guy last year, whenever you're asking some of the upperclassmen, you know, who's, you know, the younger guy that's really standing out. Consensus for a lot of those guys was Chester Kimbrough, just because he's very physical. He's also another guy that's very twitchy. I think he's interesting because I think that he can be a guy, maybe in the long run, you start getting his feet a little bit more wet, you know, at the star position this year, you can use him in different packages, depending on what teams do. He's an interesting guy, but I think the guy, the future for me that I'm really homed in on is Trevez Johnson. Um, I know he's a freshman this year and Florida maybe doesn't need him to kind of step into that role, um, you know, to really make any kind of meaningful snaps just because it does seem that Florida has plenty of options there. I mean, they could even throw Marco Wilson in the, in the, you know, that star position. So I think Florida has a little bit more options there. Travis Johnson is another guy who is, you know, a really physical guy, you know, from watching his junior year tape, there really wasn't a lot there. You know, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, okay, this is an interesting take for Florida. He obviously since then had, you know, come to the camp, ran, I think it was like a 4-3, 4-4, really fast forward. He was really physical in coverage. But then you watch this guy in his senior year. I mean, he is a guy that just completely was leaps and bounds, just totally different from his junior year to senior year. Um, Really athletic, um, also a baseball player too. So he has that athleticism, you know, of running the bases, you know, that quick kind of short burst speed. But I mean, that guy is, he's another physical guy. So, I mean, Florida has a lot of those guys at that star position that are really heavy hitters that will come up and they will bust you in the mouth. So I think that, you know, where you hear Mullen talk about, you know, you're looking for like a unicorn type of guy at that, you know, that star position, just because of the unique things that it asks for. I think Florida has a lot of unique guys there at that roster spot. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the one spot where you just have so many guys that can do different things. You know, when you're talking about Chester Kimbrough, it, it popped in my head. You know who I, I, I compare him to? Ahmad Black. 
and, and I, I know that's a good one. They don't necessarily play the same position, but they have that same. Uh, neither neither guy was really all that big. You know, you right. look at them and they don't physically. You're like, eh, like you know, comparing, until they hit you, <laughs> him to a trading until they hit you. And and I also think uh, what I see with Kimbrough is just that instinct. You know, Ahmad Black was always, always, always in the right spot. You know. Uh, what did he have? Eight picks one year, I think. Uh, I think so. Some, he had quite a few that one year. I think it was the year they played Penn State in the Outback Bowl. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, but Kimbrough to me is really, really intriguing because he's a guy that you know physically, you know, he's not a he's not a first guy off the bus type. Like if if he's the first guy getting off your bus, you're like, oh, we got this in the bag. But he can play. You know, he can play, and I, I think we saw that. He's last a Louisiana animal. That's that's what it is, man. Represent. Uh, but no, like even Van Jefferson last year, that was the guy that Van Jefferson was most impressed with in that freshman class. And when you talk about, you know, what Kyrie Elam did and how, how high everybody is on him for, for Jefferson to say that about Kimbrough, uh, man, they've got some talent in that secondary. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but Florida signed eight guys in the secondary last year. Uh, Kamar Wilcoxon's another one that, you know, they kind of added to the mix late. That's a lot of dudes, man. And a lot of those guys are talented. Six of those guys were four-star prospects. So, uh, and Kamara's another guy, too, that could have that star type of position, too, just with his you know, flexibility, has the length, too. I, uh, there's so many guys at that spot that could make a, you know, a contribution there. Not sure if Kamara will be that guy, just you know, considering that he should be a high school senior right now. But, I mean, in the future, I mean, that's a guy that you want to put in there with just the athleticism and the length and the physicality. Because, I mean, he's another guy, too. I mean, he's a man cover guy. He's going to put his hands on you. Yeah, and I, I just think it's a testament to, to Florida's defensive recruiting, man. We, like, we've talked about it in the past, um, you know, when we're evaluating, you know, areas that maybe Dan Mullen and his staff can improve. We've, we've talked about recruiting, but really, honestly, it's really only offensive recruiting. I mean, the defensive recruiting has been absolutely elite. You look at that, those young defensive linemen that they brought in. You know, Jervon Dexter, obviously, really, really impressing in fall camp. Uh, you know, Dan Mullen's been very impressed with Jalen Lee. Um, but the defensive side of the ball, man, Florida is loaded. I mean, th- we're getting back to the levels, you know, that Will Muschamp recruited to on that side of the ball that, you know, were, were basically the bulk of what was left to Jim McElwain on those 2015 and 2016 teams that won the SEC East. Uh, that basically, I mean, it was, it was Florida's defense that got them to Atlanta. I, I think Florida's approaching, if not exceeding, that level of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the question mark, obviously, is, is on the offensive side of the ball. And, sure. You know, while Dan Mullen can, can certainly coach him up, you know, and we saw that last year with Billy Gonzalez and those four receivers. Um, I think some of the, the issues we're seeing in fall camp right now are a little bit related to slightly underwhelming recruiting on offense. Yeah, you know, I think that when you look at it comparing, you know, offense to defense, you know, I will say this, the offensive staff does have a good eye for talent. There are some guys that, you know. Absolutely. That you know, I I didn't think would make an impact. You know, you know when they were being recruited, maybe not an not an impact, but just maybe not a quicker impact. You know, you think you know eh, this is a guy that probably won't see the field to junior senior year, and and I think that they've done some things on offense there that you know have been some diamond in the rough type of guys. But you know, I think every fan in the country agrees that you know why get a diamond in the rough when you can get a five star and you make him a you know a six star, seven star, whatever you know just through coaching and blah blah blah. So I, I think I get that there, but you know I, I do say I say that I do think Mullen and the offensive guys they've done it for a long time and they definitely have eye for some talent there but you know fans want five stars man yeah well and i give them a pass on o-line recruiting I, like i th- i think o-line is such a difficult position to evaluate that when they take a three-star there i don't even really blink i mean john hevesy can coach guys up just and that's at- a hard position to like, scout like, and, and rank anyways nobody thought ethan white was a good take i mean just just being honest and you know now he's probably the guy that florida least can afford to lose on the line i mean he's he's the guy that everybody's counting on uh, to really emerge as is, is this 
star basically on the O-line, you know, the kind of guy that can be an all SEC mauler type. Um, so I give him a pass on the O-line. I think like we are seeing a little bit in fall camp that Florida may, uh, may not quite be up to par at tight end. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts obviously is elite. And, and, and so saying that, I guess really what we're talking about more is the depth at tight end. Um, but I think if you were going to point to maybe a disappointment so far in fall camp, it's been that, you know, some of these, uh, younger tight ends past Kyle Pitts really haven't stepped up just yet. Uh, Keon Zipper was a guy that we were really high on last year. Sounds like he hasn't quite put it together yet in fall camp. Uh, Kimari Gamble actually is, uh, you know, reportedly doing pretty well. Um, but I know that, you know, the, the staff right now doesn't feel super comfortable at tight end. Yeah, and I think you can even look through that through the recruiting trail. You know, you bring in two tight end guys where, you know, I, I think everyone understands that, you know, Kyle Pitts is more than likely, or I, I guess I should cover myself, more than likely he has gone after this year. I think he is gone after this year. But Florida, you could tell they brought in some of those guys, um, you know, like a Gage Wilcox, uh, like a Nick Elksness, who kind of fit that, you know, longer. You know, they're not, you know, I, I got like Jonathan Odom, where you look at him and he's kind of, you know, that goal line, bigger guy, you know, it could definitely help in the blocking game. Um, but I, I think with, with uh, Keon Zipper, um, I think the one thing that you kind of look in there is, He's a guy that is really athletic in the passing game, um, but I think it's for him just kind of putting everything together. You know, he's coming from a high school. They ran the ball a lot of times. You know, he had a five-star running back into Marcus Bowman in his last years there, um, you know, at Lakeland High School. So I think he was one guy that, you know, he has a lot of, you know, scratching the surface, a lot of athletic ability. You could see how he got used in certain things for Florida. But I think for him overall, it's just kind of figuring out how to be a complete tight end player. And I think that that's the thing where he's kind of having those growing pains right now. Yeah, and I like to me, I, I have far less questions about Florida's defense right now than I do about the offense. And that's not to say there aren't question marks on defense. You know, linebacker replacing David Reese, I think, is, is one that, you know, we've kind of circled. Um, but I think there's a lot more potential answers on defense. I, to me, I, I don't know what to expect out of Florida's offense this year. Um, we certainly think the O-line is going to be better. And it, it seems like right now in fall camp, the left side of the line is much more concrete than the right you know stone forsyth brett heggy have really kind of anchored that left side the right side of the line they've really mixed and matched a lot of guys tj moore's a guy that's really kind of gotten into the mix it seems a little bit lately uh jean delance still kind of in that mix as well uh you know obviously we'll have a big role you know somewhere but we don't know like florida's still trying to find its best combination of five and you know even if they do take a step forward they were bad enough last year running the football we have some question marks and the Michael P Ryan, I think is probably underrated even by fans as good as he was um, for just the amount of things that he could do, you know, and the amount of things that you could rely on him to do consistently. I just have a lot of question marks about the offense. And I, and I certainly, I trust Dan Mullen to develop his guys quickly hone in on what they're good at. Um, but right now through two scrimmages based on everything we've heard, I, I do think there are some question marks about the offense, maybe more so than the defense. Yeah, you know, and I think one question that has been answered, so to say, you know, not to say there's this big, you know, deep answer for it just because of the lack of what we have seen in fall camp. But I think that there does seem to be a little bit more, I guess, guys you can count on in that running back room. It's all things considered, it does seem like Naquan Wright has had a pretty good, you know, fall camp overall. He could be a contributing guy. I think Damian Pierce is the one that everyone kind of expected. You know, you bring in a guy like Lorenzo Lingard, a former five-star player, uh, you know, and if it's a good fit, I, you know, I think he's one that can definitely contribute for Florida. Malik Davis is another guy that even back in the first scrimmage that Mullen was really talking him up as well. So it does seem like Florida is finding a way, at least through fall camp, through their scrimmages, um, which doesn't actually translate to a game. But it is, 
I guess it's encouraging to see that Florida is getting some production out of their running backs, even if it is, you know, in a scrimmage type thing, just because there really wasn't anything last year. You know, Michael Piran was, you know, essentially like a, like a glorified wide receiver for Florida last year. Yeah, he really was. So, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting, man. Uh, you know, it's great that we're that, that Florida made it through the bulk of fall camp. I mean, we really honestly are getting pretty close to the season here. I think it's what, 17 days at this point. Um, so the next week will probably be a little bit light on news. You know, we don't, we don't have any more scrimmages. You know, Florida's going to get into some kind of conditioning work now here before they, you know, put the pads back on and have a few more practices as they get into game week. But, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, Blake, uh, we're cruising into the, the home stretch here. Yeah, you know, even from a recruiting standpoint, you know, Florida's 2021 class has limited spots there left. You know, they've got some guys, you know, four-star Terry and Arnold, four-star linebacker, uh, Xavier Sori, five-star defensive end, Tunis Adiele, uh, four-star defensive end, Bryce Langston, uh, four, uh, a three-star, four-star offensive lineman, uh, Yusuf Mugerbill. You know, there are some other guys too, but I mean, overall, Florida's kind of fitting, you know, say maybe six, seven guys for, you know, maybe – three spots I think was the last time we had whenever you crunched the numbers I mean either way there's limited spots there so you know I, I've even from a new side from the recruiting standpoint man it's been pretty light just because of the lack of you know lack of spots left you know luckily for me the 2022 class the contact period opened there so you know there's been a lot of updates there from guys getting in touch with Florida and you know being made priorities there um, which we've had on the site but man like people want to read about this about those seniors man but those guys are talking about later decisions you know yeah. Florida's obviously December signing day closer to that so I mean we've got a while for that man so it, it's definitely it will be exciting whenever the football season actually gets here because it kind of does seem like that point to where you know, you're in a car ride, you know, you can go there for a couple hours, but that last 30 minutes, whatever, you were itching to get out of the car. So that's kind of what I feel like right now. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, guys, in terms of uh, our content plan for really the next week or two, uh, you know, with obviously Florida not having quite as much fall camp news, we'll still have interviews with players and coaches. So that, that will definitely be on the site, but we're really going to uh, kind of basically make our, our final predictions as we get ready for this 10 game SEC season. We'll, we'll have our staff predictions for, uh, you know, game by game results, all that. Uh, and really kind of start poking into this old Miss matchup. So uh, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast, guys. But be sure to tune in to Swamp247.com. Hit us up. We got plenty of content, plenty of news, whatever whatever does trickle out of, you know, the next couple weeks of fall camp. We'll have it for you on Swamp247.com. Thanks for listening today, guys. We'll see you later. ever set foot outside of the motel you will be shot don't miss the new showtime limited series based on the international bestseller for the last four years i've been a prisoner why are they keeping you here starring emmy award winner ewan mcgregor this is the brave new world that you dreamt of be very careful you are still a prisoner here everything in this new world comes at cost this is still my country a gentleman in moscow now streaming on paramount plus only with the paramount plus with showtime plan